1: Strap in your seatbelts. We've got a couple of chaps here today that will have a most fascinating conversation. We're going to talk about the troubled state of the media market, the troubled state of media agencies or not, the coronavirus and what impact that may have on the Australian market and a whole bunch of other things. Welcome to Lee Terry, CEO Asia Pacific for IPG Media Brands and Mark Code, the new Australian CEO of IPG Media Brands. Great to have you on board, gents. Let's get straight to it. Lee Terry. Why hire Mark Code? Why work with him again?
0: Thank you for having us, Mac. Uh, There's a lot of ground to cover, but without crowing about it, because I don't like crowing, I couldn't be happier um, to be working with Mark again. It was an easy decision. We've worked together. We know how well we work together. Uh, Mark Holden, uh, the Global Strategy Director of PhD, once said, and it's always stuck in my head, that um, one of Cody's greatest strengths is his ability to absorb stress. And I think as a great leader, Um, with all the challenges that goes with that, his ability to actually create calmness within a team, create a direction, uh, and also have a bit of fun along the way. The thing that I really enjoyed most about our time working together wasn't just uh, the hard work and the success that came with it, but that we actually built a culture that had a lot of fun, um, that resonated within the business. So Again, I know that uh, I know that he can do it, and I know he's going to have a have a ball doing it at IPG.
1: So you you took a, a little while to get this to, to get Mr. Code across. You I think you were acting CEO in Australia for a good part of a year. Is that because good talent's hard to find? Um, that was nice of me, by the way.
0: Th- that was nice. Um, you know, I think it was through the course of twenty nineteen, there were a number of different um, number of different challenges within the the business and the wider business um, within the APAC role that. It was uh, it was right from a stability perspective, given that I know the Australian market. Obviously, family still live here in Australia, so I'm here a fair amount of my time. That we were able to uh, to take our time, quite frankly, and uh, and not have to jump uh, or or actually prioritise that recruitment um, from day one. So, again, I think the timing of it has worked for us as a business, and it's. Um, thankfully worked for Mark in terms of serendipity of when we opened up the discussion and it was right for him and right for us.
1: Well, it was a busy time last year for all the holding companies trying to find CEOs, though that wouldn't have helped your agenda, Lee, I'd imagine, with um, lots of people on the hunt.
0: To be honest, we didn't start discussions with people, as in Mark, until August. Yeah, as I say, we we, we took our time. The thing that made it a hell of a lot easier and why it wasn't a rush, if you like, was the strength and the stability of the Australian business here and the agency brands.
1: Your business has been going quite strongly here. I think there's a bunch of account wins you've won in the last couple of years. David Jones, Kmart, Goodman Fielder, Swidman Uni, Deliveroo and and Aussie. There's a good lineup of wins and that's across the group. Is that why, Mark Code, you gave up, what, 16 years at Omnicom to come across because they're on a roll at IPG? Why did you give up your long tenure at a company that's kind of very well regarded too? I don't see it as
2: I gave up my tenure. I mean, I was there for a long time, but I I never saw myself as a career Omnicom guy. I, you know, over those 16 years, I think I did at least five different jobs. And even the job I did recently at PhD, you know, there's two or three different jobs in there. So why did I do it? I think there was a combination of reasons. One is the timing was just right. You know, I've I've always worked in environments where I've tried to leave them in a better place than I found them. And I just felt that we achieved that. We got to that point and it was time for someone else to have a swing. Um, the timing was right in that regard. So it, it was rattling around in my head probably for the last six months about, you know, where to from here. In that regard, it was a bit of a no-brainer. I mean, this is an organisation that's poised. It's, it's got good momentum. It's got really good leadership. But, th- but there's work to be done. There's work to be done in terms of arranging what we've got, setting some direction, providing some support to the leaders that are there, and, and I think we'll,
1: we'll go a whole lot further. The timing's interesting for both of you, really, because the state of the market is slightly downbeat. I know that you guys have a different perspective, and we'll hear that in a minute, but if you look at the media market right now for the last 12 months, it's really tough. You talk to a lot of the agency groups, whether they be media, creative, digital, a lot of them are doing it tough. And so I wonder the timing for your move and what you expect you can do, Mark, in this market when things are so tough. Uh, how optimistic are you and how do you explain the malaise that's that's out there at the moment? I don't, I'm not, not sure I share your pessimism. I'm good at it, you know that. I, I, you're excellent at it. <laughs> I mean, the more
2: complicated this industry becomes, the more opportunity there is. You know, there are definitely companies out there doing it tough and there's reasons for that. There's legacy reasons for some of them. There's other reasons for others and that's their business more than it is mine. But as far as this company's concerned, there's opportunity. I'm very optimistic about that. And I think the, the better the skill sets that we can assemble, the better the capabilities that we're able to provide clients in helping you know, solve their business problems, the better said we'll be in. And time's proven that. You know, I've just come from an organisation that I think has done that extremely well. This business does that very well, but I'm not going to pick through some others. No,
1: well, before we get to sort of the the broader agency business and the challenges, though the the media market, all the signals would say that media owners are, are under pressure this year, and therefore. Historically, you would think media agencies are also under pressure. But before we get to the agency bit, media owners, what what is the what is the outlook for spend? It's down, and and there is a there is a thesis that travels around that says actually uh, media is under pressure because uh, working media dollars are under pressure because some of that budget's been diverted to other parts of the marketing mix and technology specifically and technology costs. Do you buy that line, either of you, in terms of working media versus technology being diverted? I buy the line that the media
2: marketplace if I'm a media, media vendor is 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 tough. It's it's definitely tough. But I don't necessarily subscribe to the fact that total marketing efforts are down. Most advertisers still have the same budget, you know, in relative terms than they used to have. They're just doing more things with it. So the amount of money going into traditional channels to drive messaging to consumers has definitely diluted because there are other areas such as their capabilities in data their desires and needs to build technology stacks um, the work they're doing in that front has definitely taken some sense in the dollar there's no question about that but So that's where I don't necessarily subscribe to your view that the whole market's down. I don't think the whole market is down. And inherent in that is the opportunity for media agencies because we're doing a lot more in that space. We're doing more than
0: we've ever done and we'll continue to do more.
1: So you're saying that the the media agencies are doing more than just media-related activities? Absolutely. The good ones
0: are. The diversification of the products and skill sets that we have within the business that we offer clients now is, compared to 20 years ago, completely different. So yes, we still have a core belief of putting the right ad in the right place at the right time and buying it as effectively as possible to, to maximise client uh, advantage to help them deliver business growth. But the whole area of not just um, how spenders become fragmented, and you've spoken uh, lyrically about uh, about uh, the challenges of digital and uh, how ad dollars have gone to uh, gone to different platforms. I think an added complication, almost to Mark's point, you've now got the Salesforce and Adobes who are growing at a massive rate of knots because clients are building their own tech platforms and tech stacks to be able to handle their own data. There's a finite pot of monies that that brands uh, will be signing off. So again, it's no surprise to me that media owners in their traditional sense are under increasing pressure. That said, you look at something like uh, Nine Entertainment, over the last few years with their acquisition strategy, they're now taking more dollars from more places. So again, as much as we talk about fragmentation, there'll be an increasing consolidation on the media owner side.
1: Do we think though that the trajectory that we're talking about now where, where working media dollars and media spending continues to either be crimped or decline, that's inevitable for good now? Is that the, the course of history?
2: Yeah, I think it is. But it, I, I don't necessarily either like the reference to working media. It implies that not all the all of the budget is actually doing something. It actually is. All It's just not buying an ad in a 30-second slot as much as it used to because some of that money is being spent on building audiences and the technology that we use to actually assemble that so we can actually do that. When I say that, I'm pointing to my right,
1: where we used to spend money more effectively. So before we get to some upbeat stuff, what advice would you have then if you're seeing that from your clients, that shift in allocation of spend that's going on in the marketing pot, what do you say to media owners with, with that sort of uh, outlook that says, actually, it's not looking good for the rest of my um, my my term? What are media owners supposed to do? I think some of them are doing it. It must have been Michael
2: Miller or maybe even Julian Clark, in that caretaking role. He said, and I hadn't thought of it like this, but we had exactly this conversation around the, the fortunes of the Australian. And he said to me, the Australian's got more paid users now than it's ever had in its history. It's just that some of them are online and some of them are buying it off the newsstand. You know, they're doing it. They're evolving their models to adapt to what's happening out there. But the number of cents in the dollar that's going to print pages is nothing like it used to do a decade ago. And they're adap- the good ones are adapting to that.
1: And that's an ad-funded model, which we know is all under pressure unless you are a duopoly where you can command everything that you like. So, Lee, just very quickly on the on the Asia Pacific take, is APAC got the same facing the same pressures? Firstly, in the media uh, area that Australia is, or is it different?
0: I think one of the single biggest things that I've learned over the last three years is that there's no such thing as the United States of Asia each market is different each market's got a, a very different culture economic uh, environment and and even just some of the uh, geopolitical and societal challenges so you know um q4 last year japan with the typhoon this year we had philippines with the volcano obviously huge challenges down here with both bushfire and flood from a from a media and a media practitioner perspective a lot of the challenges of move to digital, move to uh, increasing uh, levels of audience-based uh, planning and buying. The s- same challenges, but different markets are at a slightly different stage of evolution on the bell curve.
1: In aggregate, say, it's slightly more optimistic to the north, in, with their neighbours to the north, or is it really quite patchy?
0: It's patchy, but there are definite pockets of positivity. Coming into this year, if you looked at uh, Vietnam, Philippines, where they're... Um, their economies are growing at you know six six or seven percent at rates which you know we haven't had down here for a long long time. But even China and India, which have historically over the last decade been the the powerhouses of, of growth, both of them are now probably looking at five to six percent growth. I think down here, where latest GDP forecast I saw last week was about two percent growth. I, th- I think you know you, you can lose yourself in numbers, and you know I'm a nerd. I love losing myself in numbers, but I think the bigger thing is the challenges that we have down here both on the consumer confidence, which is that consumer spending is at, at its lowest in the last four years. That's having a knock-on effect to consumer confidence as well as all the stuff we see in the news cycle. But business confidence, I saw the, the Roy Morgan data for January, that's at the lowest it's been, and I looked back, till 2010. So... It's you know, that 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 is the nub of the issue because that knocks on the conversations between CMOs, CFOs uh, and boards in terms of what they're willing to sign off appetite for risk and appetite for expansion. And that absolutely has a direct correlation to unlocking marketing budgets and therefore uh, the implications that, that you know, it has to media agencies, creative agencies and and client side.
1: Mark Code, some of your rivals have enormous pressure on them. They're feeling it. What are you going to do with IPG Media Brands in Australia? What are you, five days in?
2: Possibly might just be a, a little whisk, bit early. A whisker early for that. Yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> yes.
2: But having said that, I touched on it before. You know, in my observation, this business doesn't need surgery. You know, whilst Lee's been in a caretaker capacity, he's got another dozen markers to look after. So, you know, that, that there's probably not been the attention on that recently. And it, you know that that's probably my biggest observation at the moment, but that's not that's not surgical. And going back to your point about you know um, agencies finding it hard, they are finding it hard. Everyone's finding it difficult, but that's opportunity as well. I'm op- I'm optimistic about that. If we can do it well, and we can assemble the best possible people, and as I said before, help clients solve their business problems as best we can, we'll get rewarded for that. I mean, that's where the opportunity is. If it was easy, we'd all be doing it. It'd actually be harder.
1: Lee, you mentioned earlier uh, Salesforce and Adobe and those companies starting to move move the market, if you like, and a number of holding companies, whether it be Dentsu under a previous regime with Henry Tager or whether it be currently WPP, under Jens Monzies, they are all talking about publicists the same, all driving fast towards customer experience, marketing technology capabilities, analytics, data, you name it. We've talked about it for a long time, but there hasn't been necessarily a lot of action. Did the holding companies and agency groups for a while miss the boat on this technology, this this automation uh, of marketing and the customer experience trend? Did the groups miss this for a while? They're playing catch-up, aren't they?
0: I don't think we missed it. I just think it is, it's is—it's almost like the car's going at 60 miles an hour, you're changing the tyres, the doing the windscreen and, uh, and putting in a new engine all at the same time. So I don't think it's missing the boat. I think it's keeping the wheels on an existing business and at the same time adding to it as the world changes. I mean, we always used to say that markets change faster than marketing and marketing changes faster than uh, the marketing uh, evaluation and effectiveness and the tools that you need in, in order to be able to do it. We will always be behind consumers.
1: IPG's done a couple of interesting acquisitions of late, Axiom being one of them, the $2 billion data house uh, that the, you acquired globally. And also, IPG's building out a marketing technology platform, as we speak, it launched it last year called Kineso. So tell us firstly about Axiom and about this marketing tech platform called Kineso.
0: I mean, essentially, data is essential. We know that it's always been a priority and it has been for us uh, since way before we acquired Axiom. But I suppose today's IPG, we've got the ability to help companies optimise the value of their own first-party data. And I think that is one of the key reasons for for the Axiom uh, deal in the first place. Well, we should
1: go there quickly because it's interesting. I have heard the criticism about the Axiom acquisition being slightly damaged goods because it's so deeply into third-party data and, and cookies, whereas... Actually, your CEO, Michael Roth, said on the earnings call, it's 75% of Axiom's earnings, or revenues, I should say, are coming from first-party data. So that, let's clear that one up for, for the market, shall we?
0: Absolutely. I think that's both reflected in both the financial results and performance that you called out earlier. But, but yeah, first-party data is clearly critical in helping clients achieve their own ambitions with their own data. And and that, to me, is why Axiom is such a jewel in the crown.
1: So Canesso
0: yes uh, on top of obviously the axiom acquisition which is now about 18 months ago i think it was october last year uh, michael announced that uh, we're forming a new ipg company called kineso we're effectively putting together the ad tech and martech um, in our service business but with axiom as the data backbone but importantly it's not just axiom it obviously can use and does use multiple other data sources um but we effectively took Cadrian, which was uh, our programmatic business and um, media Brand's data and technology, uh, and pulled those two things um, out, put them together, and essentially it is a new uh, it is a new business, very very focused on how we can unlock data, create new proprietary tech, um, and using a lot of machine learning to then be activated through through Cadrian. So. Uh, essentially it's a proposition that is it is working um, there is a lot of tech that is uh, that has has been built that is being uh, continues to be built and beta tested um, and in this market specifically uh, there's north of a hundred people within that business uh, that are not just um, operating it for the benefit of local clients, but it's actually our regional and one of our global hubs as well. Here in Australia, in Sydney? Sorry, not just in Sydney. We've got a team across the country, but uh, over 100 nationally.
1: And so, Mark, this starts to talk about the diversity of a media agency business that historically has been media. Here's a good example of it. So uh, what, are you fully briefed yet on Canesso? but how does that form part of your st- Strategy in the next 12 months?
2: It, it does talk to the diversification of services, but it, and this I touched on this before, or it was motivating the comment around understanding what we've got and how we assemble it, because it's also the capability of using technology and data, probably first um, party client data or, or, or the best possible, that's going to move us away from demographics in the long term. So, this capability. In, in years soon to come, will form the central nervous system of any media agency. So the only thing stopping us at the moment from executing that across all channels is simply the capacity to do it. So we're still buying demographics and piling tarps up in, on, 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 on free-to-air terrestrial TV. That's going to change. So so it's not just about building services. It's about building a media agency in and what it's capable of being in the future.
1: It still sounds like Knesso is a a media play at the moment, right? So we talk about MarTech and AdTech, it sounds like it's data and AdTech with some first-party data plugged in for a MarTech sort of shingle, is it? Or is, is it go, go deeper than that?
0: Don't be under any illusion that it makes sense given the activation arm of, of Cadrian, uh, that in its very first instance that being able to apply the audience, audience-led approach is very much aligned to media brands. You know, that's stage one. I mean, and again, Michael talks to it on the uh, the earnings transcripts of, um, you know, how we look to unlock this at a wider IPG level into the creative agencies is absolutely part of the roadmap.
1: Uh, Mark, you touched earlier about sort of the end of, say, tarps for television and, and, and audience or some measure, the classic media measurement options that are around. Do you think the market has to move in unison for that to change or is there going to be breakouts that force it?
2: I think that's going to be fascinating to watch. I mean, the the market has to move in unison in some areas because there has to be a currency at some point. You know, at the moment we're using demographics as a currency to put a value on television airtime, for example, to a large degree. There's probably a bit of supply and demand in there as well. Um, But at the same time, I think agencies as a point of difference are going to be developing their capability to take data build specific audiences for for, for for their clients and and use technology to put the right message in front of that audience at the right time. Because that's ultimately what we're all here trying to do. So there will be points of difference in that. But there, there I, I think, yeah, like I said, I think it'd be fascinating to watch. There'll be a bit of both. Because the last 10 years we've talked
1: about we need to, Move on demographics, we need to change media metrics. We need to... That's been talked about and I just wonder...
2: Well, it's going, to ha- it's going to happen. It has to happen. Why would I sit there and blaze away at grocery buys with children, five to, with children 5 to 12 on a sample size of 2,000 households when I can specifically tell you exactly who those people are, where they are, and I now have the capacity to execute and reach them with precision on a mass scale? So why would I buy a demographic? Why are we? Because we still can't execute like that in all channels. So it's still the currency for television and, and and it ought to be. Don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm not I am not i am not piling in on demographics. It has to be there. It's there for a reason and it does a good job. And either that model's gonna gonna evolve or we're gonna be using data to, to develop other ones. But either way, we're not gonna be assuming that all households wanna buy this product because they fit into a certain demographic. That's that 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 way of trading, planning, trading and executing is going to change.
0: And all, all I'd say with this, Mac, is watch this space from a Canasso perspective. Thanks for that. We shall
1: wait. Clients, though, uh, to both of you, uh, you talk about this. One clients spend five percent of their time on on media related activities in the marketing, five to ten percent, depending on on, on how uh, where their where their leans are. Uh, are they on the back foot? Uh, regarding the, the changes that need to happen in audience measurement? Because sometimes you do hear that clients are pretty locked into what they've got going now, despite the talk about needing to shake things up. So the mindset of clients is is, is where I, I'm i interested in in getting your feelings on. My view on that is most clients that I have conversations like this with,
2: none of them are where they think they should be, if, if that makes sense. Um, they all think they should be well advanced. They all look over the fence at their competitors and think they're in a better place than they are. And they're generally possibly not, um, but this is a journey. This is a journey to th- th- that's being enabled by technology and 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 data. That they're all on and they're all in a different stages of that journey, but none of them are where they want to be.
0: I think there's a big element of this in terms of risk mitigation. So I think in a, either an article or a, a previous podcast, you talked to the the median tenure of a of a CMO being I think under two and a half, two, under yeah. two and a half years now. I think that in combination with a lot of the stuff that Professor Ritson talks to in terms of short-term performance marketing versus uh, brand building, I think you called it bipolar. How you help clients, A, navigate something of increasing complexity, which is why I do think agencies have a strong future, so long as we live up to that promise, and that's exactly what we're trying to do. But help them formulate strategies to boards that allow them um, to genuinely make the investments that are required to, to take risk. Uh, and I think, to Mark's point, where clients get frustrated uh, is when they look over the fence, and whether it's perception or reality, but perception's reality until you reset it, that they think that others are doing better than them. Clients have to come along on the journey, and I think to your earlier question, does the industry need to move in unison to create a change? I think no. I think if you have one group and one client or one set of clients, that can create the necessary impetus to to, to have a much bigger change.
1: So when are you guys doing that? Uh, well, if
0: today's day five, probably day six.
1: Day six, Mark. Code big change in currency and measurement metrics for the for the world. <laughs> no pressure uh, coming. No pressure. <laughs> It does get us to uh, sort of wrapping this up, and two things I want to get from both of you before you go, Lee. Quickly, coronavirus. Not much. I mean, there's lots of talk about it in business and in uh, in the broader public space, but is there any implications for the media and marketing sectors with your Asia Pacific uh, hat on, where clearly you've got good visibility in what's going on in the region?
0: Look, the simple answer is yes, but it's probably too early to say whilst we're still in the middle of the maelstrom as to. Uh, as to travel lockdowns and implications on supply chain and, uh, and and when people are physically going back to work in uh, in China, I think the the impact that it's going to have is much wider than China. They um, certainly in some key categories we've touched on tourism and uh, and the knock on implications to to airlines to hotels. I think from an advertising perspective, it's uh, it all very much links back to consumer confidence and business confidence and and those investments that. You know, in a in moments of uncertainty, people retreat back to safety. Um, and by that, in a business sense, that means probably uh, reducing spend rather than increasing spend. So um, you know, as much as I'm a generally positive person, uh, I do believe that if this continues through Q1 and into Q2, it will have some demonstrable impact on on client spends, particularly those fiscal year client spends that are probably being... Debated February and March to be locked in for for the July June. Yeah, I think you mentioned earlier
1: too, Lee, that there's enormous risk to the supply chain in terms of literally to getting products onto the shelves or on on the on the lots, if you like, in Australia.
0: Yeah, and and, and, and look, it's much reported. You know, a category such as automotive is already under pressure. If all of a sudden you've got uh, you've got issues on the supply chain, Hyundai closing plants in uh, in South Korea because they can't get the component parts um, for, from China, then yeah, you know, that will have a knock-on effect as to what gets advertised, when it gets advertised, and it's it's not just cars, I mean, even down to smartphones. And again, I think that becomes possibly even more interesting where people's brand preference are so entwined with the technology that they use that that could, you know, it could create opportunities for, for brands in the, in the longer term as to how they create uh, loyalty, um, even if there is disruption in their supply chain. <laughs>
1: Watching brief on that one for sure. Mark Code, to wrap up uh, the next 12 months for you, what what does it look like both in terms of the business uh, and the priorities that you, you, you're going to lay down and uh, the general market and what you're expecting to shake up? I think the impact of what we're seeing
2: um, around the world at the moment and some of the local events remains to be seen and I think it's going to have an impact. I think we all can see that. We were just talking about to what extent. So, that, But the next 12 months for me, you know, I'm, I'm just looking forward to be honest with you, just getting stuck in.
1: Looking forward to getting your boots on, but what does the the split between your traditional business look like and media and media related activities versus this other that you talk about, whether it be Canesso um, or uh, Axiom and other derivatives of that? What happens? What does the business look like um, in 12 months' time in terms of that, that split?
2: I don't actually see it as a percent in pillar A and a percent in pillar B. I mean, what we're talking about is, is evolving the group and building an engine room that's going to enable the brands to do what a media agency is going to do with all the technology and all the
1: data available to it in the not-too-distant future. So it's, it, it's a joint effort in that regard. I'll cop that one, Mark Code. Thank you both for coming on. Um, Lee, you now get back to your regional responsibilities, and Mark, we look forward to catching up on what the hell you do in the next 6 to 12 months. Thanks, gents. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's moi, in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.